Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, well, hey, we're going to start out a, a brand new series at the beginning of this year called Pursuit. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus with every fiber of our being. And uh, I don't know if you're the, the resolution type. Let me just check. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Okay, not very many of us, that's cool. So for the rest of you who did not make any New Year's resolutions, uh, fear not, I made a couple for you, and uh, I've been praying them out over you for the last few days, and don't worry, they have nothing to do with like losing weight or finding a spouse. I can't help you there, you're gonna have to take care of yourself in that department, but uh, I've been praying some very big things over your life as we cross into this new year. In fact, not just into this new year, but into this new decade. I believe that we have the ability right now in this moment in history to establish some things that aren't gonna just carry us for the next 360 days, but they're going to carry us for the next decade of our life. God wants to do some big things in your life this decade. Can I get a baby amen at the 11 o'clock service? Let me tell you how I've been praying for you, and I want to encourage you to jump in and pray with me like this over yourself. I've been praying that you would walk into the greatest season of blessing that you've ever experienced in your life, that doors would open that no man could shut, as it says in the book of Revelation, that opportunities for income and employment like you've never seen would come your way, that your family would be blessed, that your kids would be blessed, that your household would be blessed, that favor would be a trailblazer and go before you, and you begin to see things fall into place, not because you did it of your own volition, but because God is already going before you and fighting your battles on your behalf. I'm praying for the greatest season of joy, that those of you who struggle with depression and anxiety and fear in the years past, that you're not going to have a smile on your face because there's a pill in your system, but because the Holy Spirit has awoken something on the inside of you, and you got a smile on your face that the devil cannot rob from you. I'm praying for freedom this year. Those who've been addicted in the past, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to set free every captive, to open every prison door. If you've been addicted in the past, I think this decade is your decade for freedom in Jesus' name. I've been praying over your kids, that those of you who have kids that are estranged from the house of God, that they would come back to Jesus in this next decade, that they would say yes to him again, that they would follow him again. I'm praying over my kids who are gonna become teenagers in the next decade. Dear Lord Jesus, that they would love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm praying for those of you that have been attempting to have children and the womb has not yet been opened, that this would be the year and this would be the season that God would give you the promised child. As it says in Luke 127, nothing is impossible for the Lord. I'm praying that you'd walk into the call of God like never before. I'm praying some big things over your life. Don't let me pray bigger than you're praying over yourself, all right? How many believe that God has some great things for your future ahead? Come on, how many believe that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you, in Jesus' name? Yeah. Let's have some faith as we approach this new decade. But here's the deal. Faith is good, but action is better. Faith, faith is believing something, but according to the word, that, that faith is useless unless we put some feet to it unless we put some action to it. It says in the book of James that faith without works, that is faith without action, is dead. It serves no purpose. You can pray till you're blue in the face for things to change, but if you don't do anything, if you don't take any responsibility for yourself, then that prayer is falling on deaf ears. God is not gonna force you to do anything, but God will partner with you if you want to make progress in your life. 
And here's the deal, the action, the action item I want all of us to commit to in the next year, if you've only got room for one resolution, it's that word on the screen, that we would pursue Jesus like never before, that we would get in the word every single day. Yes, I said every single day, that we would pray every single day, that we'd worship in our cars, that we'd worship over our home, that we'd worship in our cubicle to the awkward feeling of people around us, that we would do whatever it takes this year to chase down Jesus with every fiber of our being so that we could lay hold of what he has for this next decade. I want that for you. And I want, I want you to want that for you. But here's the other thing I know to be true. If we are going to truly pursue God's plan for our future, it's going to require something. It's going to require the addressing of an obstacle, the overcoming of something that attempts to get in the way every single time you try to pursue what's best for your future. And that is this simple word, four little letters, your past, P-A-S-T. If we're going to move forward into the future, we have to address the past to ensure that that past doesn't make its way into our present and affect our future. So you've heard this before. Uh, your past is, in fact, the greatest enemy of your future. I want to adjust that ever so slightly, and I'm going to give you a thesis. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, but a thesis I want to explore over the next couple of moments together, and it's this. The past only has power over the future if we allow it into the present. To catch that, the past only has power over your future if you allow it into your present. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis or Genesis, if you're ghetto. And uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into verse. Why did I say that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I'm a little loose now, you know, got all the, got all the problems out at the nine o'clock. All right. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Verse 31. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. Watch this. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and they settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and he died while he was still in Haran. Um, I know that at face value, that seems like an interesting scripture to dive into at the beginning of the year. Like that just feels like a genealogy, but I promise there is something if we look beyond the surface of that scripture that is going to help every single one of us here today. Uh, if you're going to take notes and you'd like a title, here's the title of this chat. No Camping allowed. No camping allowed. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for just that feeling that uh, awakens on the inside of us as the calendar ticks into a new year. And just that, that supernatural thing that allows us to believe once again that things can be different this year from the way that they were last year. And Lord, uh, more than New Year's resolutions, more than what our culture would celebrate and goals and all the rest of that stuff, I truly pray that this word pursuit would get planted in our spirits at the beginning of this year and that we would run after you with everything we've got this year. I thank you for what you've done in the past year, but I also thank you that you bring us from faith to faith and glory to glory. And our best days are not behind us. They are, in fact, ahead of us. And we trust that today you're going to align us and like an arrow, you're gonna shoot us in the right direction so that we can accomplish all that you've called us to accomplish in 2020. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 Now, a few of you chuckled uh, when I said 
We're calling this, this sermon, No Camping Allowed, because I, I have not made it a secret in any way that I hate camping. That is, that is not my idea of a vacation. The idea of sleeping on the ground, submitting yourself to the elements, living out of a cooler, neglecting basic hygiene, foregoing Wi-Fi and Instagram, like none of that sounds appealing to me at all. That is not vacation to me. I am a beachfront, lanai, room service kind of guy. Can I get a witness in the house today? Okay. My people, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've mentioned many times my deep hatred for camping from the stage, and uh, I've also mentioned that I married a woman who loves to camp. My wife is, is, a, is a camper, and my in-laws are back there raising their hands in the air. Yes, thanks for raising her that way. Appreciate that. Um, but my wife, uh, in this parenting journey, has trained, uh, brainwashed my children to believe that that camping is also an appropriate form of vacation. And so there's this really awkward conversation that takes place every single summer in my household because my in-laws invite my wife and daughters, uh, and yes, I said that correctly, they don't even invite me anymore, it's great, uh, to, to go camping with them. And so every year, uh, I'm subjected to the pouting look of my daughters as they come up to me and beg me once again to go on a camping trip with them. And they like, Daddy, can you just please, just this one time, you know, we'll, we'll bring paper towels. You can shower yourself off with those or whatever. You know, it'll be great. And I have to look my children back in the eye and say, that will literally never happen, okay? <laughs> Enjoy yourselves. And every summer, this is, this is a conversation that takes place. But uh, for the first time and as far back as I can remember, we did not have to have that chat this last summer. Thank you to all of you who are here at church because planting this church got me off the hook last summer from going camping because there was just way too much work and too much going on for, for us to take the trip. And so we're getting to the end of the summer and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, I, like I'm free. Like we didn't even have to have this conversation until one Sunday after service, we're sitting at my house with some of our friends, John and Priscilla Fernandez, they're in the second row. Uh, and we're playing a friendly game of Monopoly deal, eating some food. And uh, John looks at me and he says, hey, Tim, I have a proposition for you. I know you hate camping, but, and for the next hour, I was ganged up on by my friends and my wife, while nothing short of a timeshare sales pitch was issued, like just accosting me with details about how they wanted to go on this camping trip together at the end of the summer to go to Tahoe. And they're trying everything in the book to get me to go. They're like, it's going to be great. You know how you like oceanfront? Well, it's like lakefront. It's kind of like an ocean. It's dirt instead of sand, but like you can see the water and it's great. You like the lake? And I'm like, yeah, I like water. And they're like, well, also you can rent boats and you can ride on the lake. You like boats, don't you, little Timmy? And I'm like, yeah, I like boats. Boats are good. And there's an ice cream shop and you can get ice cream in a cone with some sprinkles and don't you, you like ice cream? I'm like, what am I, a toddler? Like, how are we like appealing to my, anyway, on and on and on and on, these details came. And, and I got pretty close to saying yes. In fact, they reminded me after the first service that I may have voiced that I would be willing to possibly potentially consider going camping with them. But as we looked at the calendar and the things that were going on and as I considered the idea that Going on this trip would forfeit my ability to say anything negative about camping from the stage ever again. We decided not to go on the camping trip. So they head out, and I kind of felt a little left out. Like, okay, I haven't been to Lake Tahoe since I was a kid. Maybe we should have gone on this trip. And I'm thinking, like, okay, maybe next time until. They're there for a day, and our friends send us a text message with an attached video. And they said, hey, we're going to be coming home early from this camping trip because things have not quite turned out the way that we thought. Take a look at the screen. This is what they sent us. 
Is that not the most terrifying end to a video you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> okay, wait, were you inside the tent? I was the one with the bear stepped on my face. The bear stepped on your face. You were the one inside the tent. And your uncle lied to you and told you that it was him messing with you, right? Yeah, but now you know the truth. If you didn't, you do now. Bear stepped on your face right then and there. So needless to say, upon receiving such a video, my camping thoughts were affirmed, <laughs> and I have made once again a consideration, a commitment that for the next decade, I will not go camping in Jesus' name, all right? That right there is the reason people live indoors. We live inside. We go to hotels. That's why I hate camping so much. However, as it pertains to the sermon today and the content of this message, my distaste, my hatred for camping might actually set me up at an advantage, not just in life and in vacationing, but also as it pertains to the things of God. Because truth be told, if you really want to lay hold of what God has for your future, if you want to forsake the past and move forward into what he's got for you, you too have to hate to camp. There must be something in your spirit that says no camping allowed. Allow me to elaborate. God's people have historically been very good campers. If you look back over the history of the Israelites and you go back to the book of Exodus and you chase it down to Deuteronomy, here's what you'll find. Time and time again, God's people are accused of camping for a little bit too long. Uh, when they were uh, taken out of Egypt and they were sent to the promised land, there are a few times in the wilderness where they set up camp and stayed a little too long and God shows up on the scene and he says to them, hey, you have camped at this mountain. You have camped at this spot long enough. It's time for you to pull up your tent pegs and to move forward. I got a plan for your future, but you're not gonna get it while you camp out here. It's time to move on. Even when they had stayed 40 years in the desert, after the next generation rose up and they were getting ready to step into the promised land, a few of the tribes, two and a half of them, they stayed on the east side of the Jordan River instead of stepping into their promise because they loved to camp. They just stayed a little too long in some places they didn't belong. And time and time again, God warned them, hey, this is not what I have for you to stay stuck, to stay stagnant. I have something in your future, but it requires movement. It requires action. And sometimes when we look at the Bible and this side of history, it's easy to kind of point the finger and accuse the people of, you know, these stories like, ah, they're dumb. They should have known better. Like, we know better now. We're Americans or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But I think that if we look back at their history, perhaps they couldn't help themselves. Perhaps camping was in their bloodstream. It was in their DNA. It wasn't necessarily their desire, but for whatever reason, they just couldn't shake the camping spirit, because if you trace it back a few generations, their great, 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 great grandfather, Terah, he taught them how to camp before they ever showed up on the scene. Genesis chapter 11, our key scripture for the day. Here's what it says. One day, Terah took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his grandson, Lot, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and they camped there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while he was still in Haran. Pause there for a moment. We're told that this guy Terah had three kids, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And in the midst of his old residence, Ur of the Chaldeans, 
he prematurely loses a child. Terah loses his son, Haran. And I cannot imagine what that must have been like. As a father of daughters, I cannot imagine what it would feel like to lose one of my kids. I think that's probably the, the, the biggest fear of any parent is seeing your kids pass on before you do. That's just not how it's supposed to be. He was probably devastated. And even as I say that, I met someone after the first service and there might be someone here today that you have actually experienced that reality, that you've lost a child, whether it's through miscarriage or through sickness or through an accident or whatever it might be. And yet here you sit in the house of God still choosing to serve him after such a massive, painful thing. Let me just say, thank you for being in the house of God. Thank you for continuing to serve Jesus despite what you've walked through in the past. You are the truest picture of what faith looks like. And thank you for showing the rest of us what it means to follow him through pain. We honor you today. So please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say if you have walked through that. But I think it's important that we look at Tara's response to the pain of his past because it turns out that his past pain, the loss of his child, had the ability to make its way into his present and ultimately affect his future. Watch what happens as the, as the verse goes on. It says that uh, after he took his, his son Abram's uh, children and moved away to the earth of the Chaldeans, he was headed for the land of Canaan, but he stopped and he settled in there and he died after living there for 205 years. So follow me here. He's leaving a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's heading to a place called Canaan, but he gets stuck between the two. Now, these two cities, Ur and Canaan, are very significant cities in the Bible narrative. Ur of the Chaldeans is also known as Babylon in Scripture. And if you know anything about Babylon, if you've read your Bible, Babylon is a place that represents oppression, it represents slavery. It represents the pain of the past. God's people, after a, a period of rejecting God, they spent 70 years as captives in Babylon. And anytime you see Babylon show up in scripture, it is an illustration or an allegory for this past, the pain, the oppression, the slavery of yesterday. And, and so Terah is leaving this place of oppression, this place of slavery, the place of the past, and he's making his way to a place called Canaan. Now, Canaan, again, is a very significant biblical city. It was the first city that God called the Israelites to take possession of in the promised land. It was considered the clearest picture of what God had for a preferable future for his people. It represents freedom. It represents joy. It represents purpose. It represents provision. It's everything good that God has for you. So Terah is leaving the past, the pain, oppression, and slavery, and he's heading out to a place of promise, a place of provision, a place of God's goodness for his life. But he gets stuck somewhere in the middle, a city that has a hauntingly similar name to that child that he buried back in Babylon, a city called Haran, the same name of his kid. And as he's making his way from Ur to Canaan, and he passes through Haran, he decides to set up camp and to stay a while. Not just a while, but the scripture tells us that for 205 years, he lived out his days in Haran until he died. A city he was supposed to pass through turned into his permanent residence. Let me say it like this. His tent became his dwelling 
and his dwelling became his demise. And I think that that story, the, 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 re, the reality of someone getting stuck in a place that represents the past is probably a story that's been perpetuated more than most of us would like to admit. A story that allows us to live on the legacy of Terah. A story where when we try to leave the past behind in an attempt to pursue what God has for our future, we set up one of these. A tent. A place that's supposed to represent a temporary dwelling, but if we're not careful, can become a permanent place of residence. I'm, I'm leaving the past behind. I'm moving forward into what God has for my future. But you know, I think, I think I'm just gonna stay here a little while. I'm just gonna, just gonna park inside this tent for a little bit. Gosh, this is miserable. Why do you people do this? I don't even understand. I think a lot of us have been here, not just in a tent at a campsite, but in the spirit. Place that we should be passing through becomes our residence. It becomes a place that we park for a little bit too long. And maybe it's not Haran, maybe it's not the death of a child, but I think we all have our own version of this season that tends to prolong itself. Maybe for you, the tent is, is delay. It's the healing that you prayed for that hasn't come yet. Maybe it's the prayer that you prayed that God hasn't answered yet. Maybe it's the confusion that comes while you're waiting for, for God to open up the door for that job that you thought you had, but still you're, you're stuck. Maybe it's shame. And every time you try to step into what God has for your future, you're reminded of the failures of the past. You're like, I'm disqualified. There's no way I can do what I know God's calling me to do because I, I'm that person still. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's sadness and depression. Maybe it is loss and the pain of the past. But we all have our own version of a tent. A place where we just seem to get stuck. And it keeps us from moving in to God's preferable future for our lives. So, if this is representative in any way of your life, let me ask you, a confronting question here on the first Sunday of 2020. As we move into a new year and a new decade, it, is this where you want to stay? Is this, is this the kind of life you want to live again for another year? We're five days in. For the next 360, is this where you're going to inhabit? You're going to live inside this place you were supposed to pass through? Or are we going to actually move into what God has for our future? Do you want to hit repeat on the last decade? Or do you really want to walk into what God has for the next decade of your life?
Because I don't know about you, and I can't speak for you, but there's some areas in my life, there's some areas in the lives of the people that I love where I do not want to be here any longer and they don't belong there any longer. And it's time to pull up the tent pegs and move into the preferable future for our lives. I don't want you to be here and I don't want to be here on December 31st of 2020. But if we are not careful, the very thing that happened to, to Tara will happen to us. The tent will become our dwelling and that dwelling will become our grave if we don't do something about it, if we don't take some action. But if you're sick of living here and you're actually ready to move into God's Canaan for you, then it's going to require taking up some tent pegs, moving out of this temporary residence and actually walking into God's future for your life. It's going to take some action. So let me, let me help you today as we embark on this new journey, this new year. Back to our thesis for just a moment. The past only has power over our future if we allow it into where? Into our present. Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon only has power over Canaan if we allow it in Haran. If we allow it into our present moment. We need to get really, really good about ensuring that the past doesn't make its way into our present. Have you noticed that the past seems to show up a little bit more than you like? Have you noticed that it kind of shows up uninvited, unwelcomed? It doesn't care that the calendar changed and that you have goals now. All those Instagram pictures you posted, hashtag goals, I'm gonna work out, hashtag goals, I'm gonna do that. You don't care. The past is gonna show up and remind you that you're the same old joker that, uh, that was in 2019. That's, that's what the past wants to do. But because of its ever-present voice, we got to get really good at leaving it where it belongs in the past so that it doesn't affect today. Therefore, today can be used to pursue what God has for tomorrow. So how do we do that? Well, if, if Tara's story is a story of failure, a story of getting stuck, then let's look at somebody else's story that represents the beautiful ability to put the past behind you and to lay hold of the future. Let's talk about another character that's pretty famous in Scripture, the Apostle Paul. If ever there was somebody who needed to get good at forgetting their past so that they could lay hold of their future, it's the Apostle Paul. If you're new to the Bible and, and you don't know his, his biography, let me give you his story real quick so that we're all on the same page. Because when you know his story, it changes everything he says in the New Testament. Paul was formerly known as Saul, and Saul was one of the greatest killers of Christians in the New Testament. Uh, he was actually given orders by the religious leaders of the day to go from city to city to city to arrest, imprison, and then permission to even murder some of the followers of Jesus, and he was very good at his job. He was feared every city he walked into. People knew if we don't hide, if we don't get away from, from Saul, this is the end for us. And so he ignited fear in the hearts of every Christian in every city he walked into. And one day, he's on his way to Damascus on another one of his Christian killing crusades. And while he's on his way, Jesus encounters him on the road in a powerful way. You can go back and read the details in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 9, I think. But God encounters him in such a way that it completely reroutes his destiny. 
The guy who is killing Christians doesn't just become one, but he actually becomes one of the greatest heralds of the gospel in the New Testament. Thousands and thousands of people are saved. Churches are birthed as a result of this one encounter that Saul had with Jesus. So much so that he changed his name from Saul to Paul, which I would probably do if I used to kill Christians and then I tried to preach to them the next day. Like, uh, I need a new name. Probably got some plastic surgery too and some Botox. It was great. But if ever there was a guy who needed to forget what he used to do so that he could do what God had called him to do, it's the guy that used to kill Christians. Like you might have a very checkered, colorful past. I'm not trying to, you know, compare here. But I'm pretty sure you haven't killed thousands of Christians. And if you have and no one knows about it, <laughs> but here's a guy who is a murderer, the worst of the worst of the worst, and God calls him to do something significant with his life. But the only way he can do that is if he forgets the guy who once was so that he can focus on the guy that he is becoming. So in light of what I just told you, in light of his story, look at this scripture he writes in the book of Philippians chapter three. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Forgetting the past, I look forward to what lies ahead, and I press on. He says, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not in Canaan yet, but I'm also not in Ur. I'm not in Babylon any longer. I thank God I'm not where I used to be, but I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet. I am still in process. But I'm not gonna get stuck somewhere in the middle of this journey in order for me to truly lay hold of Canaan, in order for me to truly lay hold of what God has for my future, I have to get good at forgetting the past so that I can look forward to what lies ahead and I can press on to become who God's called me to become. If you are looking for a verse to declare over yourself in 2020, might I suggest that one right there, Philippians chapter three. I'm not gonna be who I was in 2019. I'm not gonna be who I was for the last decade. I'm forgetting the past. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead and I will become who God's called me to become in this next decade of my life. That is who we're supposed to be. That is what we're supposed to do. Your three-step plan for change, if you're that kind of person and you need a three-step plan, there it is. Forget Look forward and press. Forget the past. Look forward to the future and press on. In fact, let's just say that together, shall we? Forget, look, and press. Forgetting is an act of your will. It is a choice that you have to make on a regular basis. I wish that there'd be like a men in black moment for our past. You know, like, boom, like, oh, I don't remember anything. This is great. I wish. I'd like to remember some stuff, but you know, there's other things that maybe not so much. But that's just not how it works. There isn't a magical moment in the spirit where you just forget everything that has taken place in your past. It is a choice that you make every single day to not focus on yesterday so that you can lay hold of what God has for you tomorrow. How many drive a car? Most of us, okay. I have to ask that in San Francisco. Some people take media and stuff too. You know in your car how there's like a, like a really small rear view mirror and then a massive windshield. 
You're supposed to have like a, a really small view of where you came from and a really broad view of where you're going. Can you imagine if your whole car was just a giant rearview mirror? It'd be tragic. You wouldn't make it to where you're supposed to go. You'd probably crash on the first block. Why? Because that's not where your attention's supposed to be. Your attention's supposed to be focused on where you're going, not where you came from. And life is supposed to be the exact same way. You should have a very short memory of the things that took place in the past, the pain of the past, the sorrow of the past, the failures of the past, and you should have a very broad view of your future. And that's not just some random illustration or some glib confession that's supposed to make you feel a little bit better. That is, in fact, the Bible. That is the promise of Scripture over your life, that when you come to Jesus, your past gets put to death, and you get to lay hold of God's future for your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That is God's promise for you. That is God's plan for you to forget the past, look forward to the future so that you can press on to what he has for you. I love that you're sitting in a, in a seat at the 11 o'clock service, but let me just say, there is a call of God on every single person's life in this room. And it's not just to sit in church on a Sunday. This is great. But God has called you to be activated in the body of Christ, to be used for his glory, to see your talents and your gifts and your abilities released so that thousands of people in this community who do not know Jesus yet will come to know him as a result of your obedience to the call of God on your life. There is a call to press on towards. And you know what that word press means in the Greek? Interestingly enough, it means that right there. It's pursuit. It's great to have an idea that I'm going to pursue Jesus, but what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 is that it is impossible to truly pursue Jesus until we learn how to forget what's behind us and look forward to what lies ahead. If you're going to run after Jesus with everything you got this year, it's going to require some forgetting. It's going to require some focused attention to look forward so that you can lay hold of his call for your life. And here's how we're going to do this as a community. I want to make this very easy. Put some handles to this for everyone. I want to invite you to join us on a 21-day journey of pursuit. If you're new to the church uh, or new to Jesus or maybe you've been here for a while, doesn't matter. Equal opportunity here. All of us are going to run after Jesus starting tomorrow for 21 days with everything we've got. Um, there is a resource in the lobby. Uh, it's a book called Pursuit. And it is written by my pastor, uh, Pastor Dave Patterson, um, a 21-day guide for prayer and fasting. It's a devotional that you can do every single morning. Um, unfortunately, most of the people at 9 o'clock got a little zealous and bought too many of them. Uh, so there are some left out there. But if we run out at the end of this service and you'd like to grab one, they are available on Amazon Prime. You can get them the next day and just jump in with us on the day that the book shows up at your house. But Either way, I want to invite you to jump in on this journey with us. It's a $10 book. If you can't afford it, we will give you a copy for free in the lobby. I care that much about it. I just want you on the journey with us. And I'm not going to force you to fast for 21 days. Um, I don't like fasting for 21 days. Uh, I don't know anyone who likes fasting for one day. So... We are going to do the devotional piece for the first 14 days, but then at the end of this month, we'll teach on it on the weekend, but we will invite you to jump in on a seven-day fasting journey with us. And I really believe that if we set our hearts and our attention to seek Jesus like never before at the beginning of this year, to pursue him with everything we've got, that the remainder of this year and the next decade and beyond can be changed for the glory of God. I really do believe that. 
So, so grab this resource on your way out the door, but in whatever fashion you need to make a decision today on the first Sunday of 2020 that you're gonna be a pursuer this year. You're not gonna let the Bible reading plan check off three or four weeks before you jump back into it. Be in the word every single day. Be in prayer. Come to church on the weekends. Be a part of what God's doing in this community, in this city, in our lives. And let's have the most phenomenal, most fruitful year we've ever had in the history of our lives. Is anybody up for that today? Someone say amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.